Military signal carrier, 4212 X-ray 9. Connection established. Pirate radio signal detected. Transmission capture. Audio only. Compiling. RL lag time negative 47.91.280.006. Adjusting for time dilation. Beginning playback. Greetings fellow survivors. Sergeant Kaplan here again. spent the last couple hours looking for these damn AC cables for the recording equipment I had to there's this unspoken understanding as a mechanical engineer the rule of piles I think it was described to me so if you've got a stack or a pile of boxes or whatever Whatever you're looking for is always going to be on the bottom. Unless you start looking on the bottom, and then what you're looking for is on the top. <laughs> you know what? I'm starting to get why Marcus does these little radio journal things. And despite everything that's happened over the last 72 hours, I actually felt kind of relieved after I did that last one. Cathartic. Like a weight was lifted off my chest that I didn't realize was there. But enough about me. You probably want to know what happened to Marcus. I wanted to tell you more last time, but the truth was we just didn't know. Anyways, here's the deal. I met with Harold, Dr. Kieran, and Wu in the infirmary about an hour or so after Marcus was taken from surgery. Marcus had a severe concussion and shrapnel damage across both his legs, but the worst of it was a piece of a railgun slug that had penetrated his abdomen. Dr. Kieran used to be a cyber surgeon with the U.S. government. This lady knows her stuff. On a lighted wall display, she went over some of the x-ray and sonographic imagery data with us. We were able to get all of the metal shards out of his legs. These only managed to pierce the first layer of his dermal armor. We're still waiting on the full CAT scan results, but as far as I can tell, it looks like he doesn't have any symptoms of brain damage from the concussion. The bruises on his body have already begun to vanish. It's hard for me to say more at this point what we can do about the abdominal intrusion. We broke half a dozen scalpels trying to open him up for surgery. I want to try a surgical laser next, but even if it works, we have another problem to deal with. We can't get the anesthetic to take hold, any of it. He's unconscious right now, and thankfully his open wound has given us an injection site, but nothing we have tried is working. Morphine, fentanyl. His metabolism is like a nuclear reactor. He burns it out faster than we can pump it in. 
If he wakes up, he's going to be in pure agony, and there's nothing I can do to ease his pain, said Dr. Cairn. How... how bad is he? Harold rasped. The slug is pressed up against a major artery. Marcus has a unique bio-armor implant. It's grown in tandem, in utero, and fuses to him over many years. It's entirely organic, and his DNA is programmed to repair both it and him at an astonishing rate, which is the problem. The slug is wedged against the inside of the back of his rib cage. I'm not saying this to be hyperbolic, but I don't think we can break his bones, at least not with the tools we have available here. As his body tries to repair the organic armor, it is also pushing the slug back against his rib cage. His rapid healing is killing him. He's already sustained enough internal blood loss to kill any normal person. Harold, I'm sorry, Dr. Kieran said. No. No! Harold ripped the lighted wall display down and threw it across the room. Wu started to reach out, but stopped himself. Harold went to Marcus's side and looked down at his grandson's pale body. His jaw clenched hard. Any word from Hippie Island? Harold barked. Silence. Of course not. Wu pulled me aside and we stepped quietly out into the main hallway. The double doors of the infirmary slid shut behind us. I have to check up on the prisoners. Kaplan? Someone needs to tell Hugo about his wife. It's not right to keep this from him, and I think he should hear it from somebody he knows. Wu said. I bit my lip and nodded. All right, I'll do it. But not right now. He's passed out in the guest room. This is probably his first good sleep he's had in a week. I'll hang around the mansion and tell him once he's up and about. LT, it ain't gonna be good. I've known Jackson since basic training. He's gonna be out for blood, I said. Well, he'll be in good company for that. We all lost someone today, said Wu. I just hate walking away from Harold like this. That kid might be an islander, but he fought for us. Bled for us, I said. I feel the same. Wu stopped for a moment after reaching the halfway point to the brig. I was about to jump back in the tank when Wu called back to me. It's warmer out here than before. Yeah, snow's melting too. The void stretched out above Marcus. Absolute darkness. Below him were gray storm clouds and a river of shadows swept between them. Occasionally one of the clouds flickered with noiseless lightning. His body hovered above the clouds, feet almost touching them. He slowly became aware of other things nearby. An easel and painting supplies floated. Paint from a tube frozen just before it hit the pallet. Beyond that, a magnetized chain of steel orbs, an oversized necklace. The digital scope flickered with the image of a GPI soldier in power armor, the cross errors locked on his head. 
thoughts do not exist in a vacuum. When you think, your brain exerts a force on the world. A disembodied voice echoed. An axe stuck to a piece of firewood rotated slowly in place. Several feet from that, a watcher's necklace levitated, a metal cross wrapped in barbed wire. He reached out for it, and it moved towards him into his outstretched hand. The wire dug into his hand, pierced the skin. He winced in pain. The clouds roiled beneath him, then parted to reveal a tiled linoleum floor. He looked up from his bleeding hand to see he was standing in a tiny bathroom with a stand-up shower. The walls were the insides of an industrial shipping container. This looks like the island before the housing towers were built, he said. But the voice that came out was not his own, or not entirely. He looked closer at his hand, older and covered in scars. There was a tattoo on the inside of his wrist. NYC Moss, and a diamond with a single 5.56 bullet laid inside of it. His heart began to pound in his chest. He stepped in front of the mirror. The man it showed looked like him, but not. His hair was much longer, just below shoulder length. Dirty, golden blonde hair with a few strands of silvery white mixed in. His eyes were blue also, but unlike Marcus's, they glowed. Dad? He said. He reached out and touched the image on the surface of the mirror. Something began to buzz in his mind. Something was drawing his attention. A signal. A current. He looked over at the light bulb hanging from the ceiling, burning with a dim white light. The sound grew louder. The bulb began to flicker wildly. An arc of lightning flashed off his hands, bounced off the faucet, and blew the light bulb out. Hey, calm down, a woman's voice called from just outside the room. Melissa was at the entrance to the bathroom, Marcus's mother. She was much younger than he had ever seen her before, in her early twenties. Her jet black hair was pulled back in a braided ponytail, and she was wearing an oversized, heavy-looking robe. She eyed him quizzically. Are you having an episode again, Jonah? Should I go outside? She asked. The buzzing subsided. Mom, was all he could think to say. Melissa smiled brightly and put a hand on his face. Not quite, she said, patting her belly with her other hand. You've got another five months and some change before you can start calling me that. Is that what's had you so wound up lately? Prospect of being a father finally catching up to you? Marcus was suddenly aware of when and where and who he was. Somehow he had jumped into his father's mind some 22 years in the past. He also realized that he was now staring blankly at his mother, who was starting to look worried again, and a little angry, which was never a good sign. No, no, I mean, yes, sort of. I'm sorry, M Melissa. There's a lot going through my head right now. Melissa walked out into the living room area of the Connex box and shut the door to the outside. She leaned up against it and looked back at him. Does this have anything to do with your trip to Antarctica? With Zack? She asked. I don't know, he said, and he truly didn't. Forge had mentioned the trip to him at one point during his training, 
He was around nine years old at the time when he had heard the story, but the only thing he could recall from that was a massive glacial wall. It was just a wall of ice. That and a second door. The last sentence was not his own. His focus was slipping. Something, someone was pushing Marcus out. A second door? Like the one in Zachariah's vault. Jonah, you know that thing creeps me the hell out, Melissa said. You've been asking about it every day since I got home. Do you want to hear this or not? Jonah said. Melissa folded her arms in front of her. Jonah nodded and walked out of the bathroom, then leaned against the corrugated metal wall adjacent to her. I don't like it either, but those doors are important to the executive board. GPI's puppet masters. We aren't sure why just yet. That's why we need to study them. Marcus had lost control. He was only a spectator, or more accurately, a stowaway in Jonah's mind. If those scumbags want something from the doors, then it can't be good. Just destroy them, Melissa said. We can't, Jonah yelled. The lights in the room flickered angrily. Jonah took a deep breath and composed himself, returning the room to normal. Look, we tried. That was the first thing I tried anyways. I hit it with a full blast of lightning. Didn't so much as leave a scorch mark. Harold put half a dozen pounds of C4 on it and detonated it, still intact. Then we had to spend another day and a half digging it back out of the tunnel again. Harold? You dragged my father into this crap? Melissa cried. Jonah shook his head. When are you two going to start talking to each other like adults again? No, I did not drag your father into anything. He demanded to come along when he found out about the executive board's interest. He chartered the ship we used, put together the moss crew we needed. It was his operation. I went to make sure he came back in one piece. Jonah's hand was still holding on to the barbed cross. Melissa stepped forward and took it in her own hand. You have to stop fueling his schemes. It's going to get you all killed, she said. Zachariah or your father? Jonah asked. Both. You have no idea what those door things are capable of. My father is just like you, desperate for answers and quick to sacrifice himself. Zachariah, who knows what's going on in his head? No one can read him, including Miller. That doesn't scare you? I don't think he's aged a day since we met him, Melissa said. Jonah, your aura seems different today, Melissa said, looking into Jonah's eyes. Crowded somehow. The chain necklace slipped out of Jonah's hand. Marcus jolted back into the void space. Gray clouds again rolled beneath his suspended form. The necklace was being held a few feet away from him. Jonah levitated, cross-legged before him. He released the necklace, and it flew upwards into the infinite night sky. You shanghaied me good for a minute there, kid, Jonah said. He looked older than he was just before in the mirror, but not by much. Jonah's beard had grown out a bit, and his hair was longer and more weathered. I didn't know. I didn't even know I could, Marcus began. Jonah waved at him dismissively. His smile was broad. No, no, that was... Wow. <laughs> Zack said you'd have other abilities, things that none of us could do yet. I just never imagined what one of those abilities would look like. Jonah paused to take in the surroundings. Say, you're in my mind space now, too. I see you've done some 
redecorating, he said, pointing to the hovering sniper rifle. Fancy. I like the view through this scope. Looks like a neat headshot on someone that had it coming. Wait, these aren't your memories either, are they? He asked. I don't think this is the empty sky. It looks like the place I go when I meditate, but this feels more real somehow, Marcus said. This, this is the threshold, Marcus. Are you dying? Jonah asked nervously. Eric rolled on his side on the ice-cold floor of his prison cell. He gripped the left side of his chest. Fracture detected in ribcage. A warning message scrolled on his internal data feed. His cybernetic link with Marlowe showed out-of-signal range. He was left to his own devices, literally. Without a link to her holographic site, his image-rendering cyberware reverted to skin and cochlear sonographic data. The world around him was a monochrome haze of digitized shapes. He was still picking up Jason Dara's vital signs tracker. Distance 15.2 feet, but no geolocator information registered, no matter how many times he pinged. They were in a signal dead zone. A door opened to the outside. The noise caused a flash of audio-to-visual sensory data to register in Eric's rendering cyberware. It wasn't a very large building, approximately 800 square feet, plus or minus. There were four rooms, other than his own, and one of them was heavily reinforced, probably steel. That was the one Dara's signal bounced from. Footsteps. One person, male. Six foot four, estimated body weight 223 pounds. No telltale sounds of piezoelectronics or micro-pneumatic enhancements. No overt combat cybernetics. The tall digital stick figure representation of a man stopped just outside the door to Eric's cell. Eric caught the scents drifting off the stranger's boots. Partly melted snow, dead grass, and fresh mud. There were other aromas too. Gunpowder, ozone, and something else like embryonic fluid. I trust you find our accommodations adequate, Wu said. Eric dragged himself upright using his arm to prop himself up, half sitting against the far wall. His olfactory software pulled more details from the air particles, which now contained Wu's sweat and respiratory droplets. Buildup of excess adrenal waste product was minimal. This person did not scare easily, but he had been awake for over two days. Absolutely, this has to be the best one-star motel I've ever stayed in, Eric said. Something rustled through the bars of the cell. A flat, bag-like object. Eric caught it in one hand before it hit the ground. They told me you were blinded during the attack, Wu said. Eric grimaced. Blind's a relative term these days. Fingers wrapped against the bars of Eric's cage. Your colleague needs medical attention. A doctor will be over shortly. I need some information from you, however. If we are to save his life, said Wu. <laughs> save him. What for, so your invisible psychopaths can torture him to death later? Eric said, laughing painfully. He shook his head. No. Just let him die with his honor intact. 
Eric tore open the MRE bag and unwrapped a packet of trail mix. He picked through it, tossing the M&Ms out onto the cell floor. He needs a blood transfusion and antibiotics. We have to know where his medical ports are located. Dermal armor augs have to have medical ports, but they're usually well hidden, said Wu. You aren't listening. I'm not going to help you torture, my friend. Teal can go get his jollies elsewhere. I know how this ends, and I've made my peace with it. Maybe you should do the same. The door to the outside opened again. Two more people entered the prison. An elderly man and a middle-aged woman. Dr. Brandberg, Nurse Goodwin. Looks like you'll be going in blind. The prisoner has not been cooperative, Wu said. I'll do what I can for him, Dr. Brandberg said, then turned to Nurse Goodwin as they made their way to the heavy cell door. First thing, get the blood test ready. It's Eric, right? It doesn't have to end like this, said Wu. Yeah, about that. There are three scenarios I see playing out here. One, me and Dar get a bullet to the brain right here and now. Sometime after that, Gamma Protective Infrastructure traces our movements back here, which they will. Then you all die. Two, GPI shows up on your doorstep before you let us go or kill us. Then you all die. Three, you let us walk away unmolested right now. And that last option is the only way you might avoid eating a bullet. Maybe, Eric said. You would be the only one able to walk, even if we found those terms acceptable, which I can assure you, we do not, said Wu. Eric's link to Marlowe flashed back onto his internal feed. She was outside the machine shop, tracking movements detected through its windows. Eric opened the bag of cold teriyaki synthetic chicken and inhaled half the bag. He wiped his mouth with his sleeve, then clambered to a standing position. All this fuss over one fucked up event. Just so you know, Teal doesn't care about what happened with the farmers in New York City. He was there when we showed up. Teal wants his pound of flesh because things didn't go his way, Eric said. When we showed up? You were there too? Asked Wu. I tell you the story, you fix up my friend and let us go. Asked Eric. You are a traitor to your country. The punishment for that crime is death, Wu said flatly. Country? <laughs> you see a country out there? The land you are occupying belongs to Clayton Inc. and about half a dozen banks. You people are glorified squatters. Hobos with fancy gear, most of which you stole. Your man, Jackson... We've been surveilling his charter for over three years, right along with yours, and I have never known him to act so openly, so recklessly as we observed the last month. Around the time he started rubbing shoulders with Philip Teal, Eric said. Eric's link to Marlowe cut out again. He furled his brow. Philip Teal, ex-Green Beret, went AWOL during the Tehran incursion. A year and four months later, he's kicking it back in the States with you fine folks. Then he surfaces in New York City. Right before the biggest friendly fire incident in U.S. history. 
After that, he pops down to Texas for a little vacay. And a dirty bomb goes off in one of Heather Curry's charter bases. There's some irony in there somewhere. I don't know. 1,500 people die from radiation poisoning. Mostly your guys, said Eric. The digitized shape of Wu blurred in front of Eric. Texas was an accident, Wu said. Maybe it was. But I'm telling you, New York City was not, said Eric. If I wanted lies, I would have turned on the TV. Wu backed away from Eric's cell and started to walk away. Left armpit, Eric called. Wu stopped. What about it? Left armpit, from the center, eight millimeters towards the front. That's where you'll find his Mediport. I waved at the guards out in front of the Guthrie mansion. One of them flagged me down as I sped in on my gator. I brought the mini work vehicle to a halt. The guard just pointed to the window of the nearby gatehouse. Puka had his two front paws pressed up against the window sill, barking at the top of his lungs. I shrugged and brought the vehicle around to the drive-off to the gatehouse. Puka rushed to the door the second it was open. The dog ripped up the muddy path, started to run towards the hospital, then stopped sniffing the air, and whirled back around at me. Hey, someone got his mojo back, I said. Puka trotted a few steps toward me, staring at me with pleading eyes, barked, then looked back up the road, leading away from the Guthrie mansion, northwards. What's with you, boy? Didn't they let you out to go potty? I asked. Puka tromped the snow with his front paws, sniffed the ground, then the air, and he barked again staring briefly at me before he turned up the driveway and bolted. I nearly jumped out of my skin, cursing as I shoved myself back in the seat of the gator and pounded the accelerator, giving chase to the animal. Jonah examined the vast open terrain of the void that he and Marcus now inhabited. At first he had seemed comfortable there, but his expression had since become more grave. You're seeing this all too, right? These memories that aren't yours. Things that happened before your time? Jonah asked. Yes, father. I don't know what it means. I've never been here before. Are you really here? Am I? Marcus asked. It looked a little different the last time, but I have been here before. This place is called the Threshold. It is a multi-dimensional representation of your life. Everyone that you've ever met, anyone whose life you altered, however big or small a way, and much more. I'm here because you brought me here, but that doesn't answer why you are, Jonah said. The last thing I remember, I was fighting this giant thing, a biomechanical drone of some kind. It was huge. It attacked me when I tried to capture a shapeshifter, Marcus said. The disembodied eye of the giant insectoid shimmered into existence nearby. Jonah stared at it intently. I wish you hadn't brought that thing here. Even its memory is dangerous, Jonah said. You've seen it before. What is it? Tell me, Marcus said. It's a gatekeeper. An enforcer. 
Think of them like a spiritual border patrol. They show up only when we are about to go somewhere or discover something we shouldn't, Jonah said. What they? Who or what are they? Where do they come from? Marcus asked. No doubt your mother or Zachariah told you about the executive board. Did you know that those elites answer to a higher power? Worship a higher power. And they communicate with each other and their masters through symbols and rituals. The symbols tell of their design, the grand design. And the rituals put that plan into motion. What is the grand design exactly? Who are the executive boards serving? Marcus asked. You remember Miller, the private detective? He worked a few cases in New York City right when everything was going pear-shaped. I think your grandfather inherited some of his belongings. He died in Black River. If Harold still has those old cassette tapes, you're going to want to listen to them. He's the one that figured all this out. He was the brains. I was just their glass cannon to wave around, Jonah said. What about your trip to the Antarctic? Jonah shook his head. Not here. That topic isn't safe here. There are more things watching and listening in this place than in the physical realm, Jonah said. Reality isn't just one dimension. There are so many more. These dimensions sit above and below reality. They cover and undergird our world. Think of it like layers of an onion. Sometimes cracks form on a layer. We call these thin places, a place where one dimension bleeds into another. The threshold, the threshold is a winding path between the layers. Marcus looked out over the dark landscape, clouds moving without sound below them. Off in the far distance, he could just make out the whirling of a massive cyclone. He had to unfocus his eyes to catch the full scope of it. Jonah arched his head to see what his son was looking at. Because you brought me here, pieces of my life are colliding with your own. Some of the shadows here, they are mine. That one, that's the one, Jonah began. The one before you died, Marcus finished. Jonah nodded solemnly. After the Congressional Nuremberg trials finished, Moss focused on settling land disputes, mainly. Then the UN attack started in earnest. Hunting down the remaining executive board members went on a permanent hold after the schism happened, when Moss split into the Stormcallers and Remnant. If Zack figured out what Miller knew, he never shared it with me. Miller's crusade against the board died with him, Jonah said. He spread out his arms. As for me, if there's a heaven or a hell... I suppose I should be in one of those places now. Instead, I'm here, in the threshold. Maybe this is my own personal hell, Jonah said. Maybe you just have unfinished business. Seems like we just don't know enough yet, Marcus interjected. Jonah pointed a finger at Marcus. Yeah, you are my son, he said. Jonah reached up and grabbed the necklace of metal orbs. I'm glad we got to meet. You've grown to be a brave young man. Chandler. 
but you have to go back to your world now. This place is not meant for the living, Jonah said. I know. I just wish we had more time, Marcus said. Jonah pushed the necklace against Marcus' chest. Don't worry, kid. I'm sure you'll find another way back here. Hopefully not too soon. Take this. It was my energy focus. Maybe you'll need it one day. Miller can't have been the only jack-of-all-trades, Jonah said. Wait, I can't bring this to the physical world, Marcus began. And I apologize in advance for the pain, Jonah interrupted him. A bolt of lightning streaked down from on high. I brought the gator to a screeching halt near the remains of Lambert's wrecking services and automotive. This was one of the many nearby buildings that had been flattened during the skirmish yesterday. A chill went up my spine. The smoldering hulk looked even more alien with its mechanical and organic bits scattered across the landscape. Sergeant Baker and a few of the other men were out in the area taking photographs and collecting samples. I found Puka digging up muddy snow by an overturned street signal. A pungent herbal odor wafted up. Puka dragged out a bandolier with island warrior markings on it. Marcus's gear. Hey, wait a minute. What's that? Is that blue root? Puka dropped the item at my feet, then sat back on his hind legs, staring at me expectantly. I flipped open one of the pouches and revealed a fist-sized woven cloth satchel. My hand started to go numb immediately. Sadovo's own formula. This far from the island. Now this has got to work, I said. I went back to the gator, but stumbled. My body wasn't responding to my brain's commands right. Puka started barking again, his head pointing upwards. Something dropped down from the sky, and the dog ran towards it, tail wagging. Oh no. I friggin' dosed myself. I was supposed to mix this stuff with water. A woman with raven black hair was approaching me. In... It looked like she was wearing robes. Jackson splashed cold water on his face at the wash basin and the troops' bathroom of the Guthrie mansion. He looked a few years younger with a trim beard and absent of the past few days' grime. He looked into the mirror after drying his face and touched the spot where a bullet had pierced his mouth. The doctors had stitched him up. It was a through-and-through -through shot just a centimeter in, and it would have been a kill shot. The wound was healing nicely. No signs of infection or inflammation. He leaned heavily on the sink and pressed his head against the mirror. A few minutes went by before he walked back into the bunk room and grabbed his portable music player. It was still on and playing some classical music. Fogner. He used to play that mixed in with country to piss off connection link severed. And she would flip the MP3 player to the next track in a huff. Jackson got dressed and headed into the Guthrie Mansion's game room. Increasing echo function, 18.9%. General? General Jackson? Hugo? Are you alright? May screamed, shaking him. Jackson shot upright. He was on the floor next to a solid oak pool table. Wiping a bead of saliva off his mouth, he braced himself on the table and shambled upright. He was covered in sweat. Where the fuck am I? He said. You're in the Guthrie Mansion estate. I'm May. Lieutenant May Vickerson, Herald Charter. I know. 
What room is this? How did I get... You know what? Never mind, Jackson said. He looked around the room, noticing the pool balls scattered around the floor, and started picking them up one at a time. He put the triangle back in its proper location on the table and started assembling it for a game. I'm sorry, May. It's been... well... It's been a living fucking nightmare. May observed him cautiously for a minute, then started to help gather the pool items into the triangle. I'm sorry, Hugo. They only just told me about Liza, May said. Hugo was at the pool stick cabinet, grabbing one off the rack. He paused, taking a deep breath to compose himself. Kaplan was supposed to... May started. I am trying. Have been trying for the last two days to come to terms with what happened. Can't be mad at Shayla. She's family. But I do miss Liza. And I hate the deception I've had to cast over her, Shayla, in order to protect her, Jackson said. Two days ago. So you knew about her getting attacked at the morgue? May asked. Jackson spun around and gave May a bewildered look. Morgue? Here? May, Liza died in the raid on Vitatech's research lab. Shayla didn't know about it, or the raid. I was going to tell her, but... Before I could, their parents' home went up in a blaze, and she's convinced that it was her fault. I don't really know if it was her or not, and I couldn't get her to move in the hospital with her believing that, so I lied. I should be on my way back to her right now, but then all of this shit had to happen. I'm going to have to leave here soon, with or without Harold's blessing. She's not in the right state of mind to be left on her own, Jackson said. May's eyes nearly bugged out of her head. She brought up her radio, then thought better of it. So you didn't run into Kaplan here? May asked. No, but I did see him drive by the gatehouse from out my window, Jackson said. Are you good to hold a gun? May asked. Jackson patted his holstered sidearm. Always. Kaplan rushed through the ER doors, almost bulldozing one of the medical staff in the process. He grabbed a nurse. Where is Marcus? The nurse stared at him, a bit shooken. I found it, the medicine they need. Did they move him? He asked. The nurse shook her head. No, he's still in surgery. Please don't run. Kaplan tore off down the hall before she could finish. Harold was kneeling at the side of Marcus's bed, his hands folded in prayer. Dear Lord, I know I've not been there for my family. I let my own aspirations get in the way. My pride. Even now, I just want to ask you to please don't let him pay for my screw-ups. Gotta take someone. I'm your man. Send me to hell. Balance the scales. Whatever. Please don't let him die here. He's fighting this war, but I'm not even sure he knows what that means. I'm not even sure I know what that means. And I dragged him into this, even if he believes in it. This is my fault. If I had just... None of this. Harold said, 
Wu cleared his throat to get Harold's attention. I have an update from the prisoners. Dara has been stabilized. He's recovering as we speak. The other, Bauer, he wants to talk with you. And I think you're going to want to hear what he has to say, Wu said. Harold rose to his feet, arching his head back towards Wu. I don't want to hear anything those tools have to say. You know what? Go back there right now and put a bullet in both of their skulls, Harold said flatly. Teal was there, like you thought. He was in New York City, Wu said. Harold's eyes widened. Bauer told you this, Wu nodded. Kaplan entered the room. In his left hand, he was holding a syringe. He walked up to Harold at the side of Marcus's bed. I found this. Marcus brought it with him from the island. It's the herbs they use for medical treatment of serious wounds. I think it's called Blue Root, Kaplan said. He was at their side. Dr. Karen approached. Blue Root? That may be what we need. It's far too potent for normal use, but for him it might just be an adequate painkiller. We can try to use the surgical laser. Then we just need something powerful enough to dislodge the shrapnel, Karen said. Wu and Dr. Karen rushed out of the room. Kaplan handed the syringe to Harold. Karen said the site around his chest could be used for an injection site. On a hope and a prayer. Harold eyed the syringe. How did Jackson take it? He asked, approaching Marcus with the needle. Wu said he asked you to be the one to speak with him about Shayla's death. It can't have been easy to hear. First losing his entire squad and then his wife in a single day. Kaplan nodded. Of course. Jackson will be all right. He just needs time to process things. Harold jammed the syringe into Kaplan and pushed down on the plunger. Kaplan fell onto the surgery room floor, convulsing. Just suck on that, you shape-changing freak. The surgery room door burst open. A woman in a gray long coat stood in the doorway. Step away from him. Do it now, she shouted. Harold raised his hands over his head. Melissa? The doors to the surgery room flapped open again. I stood in the doorway next to our newest visitor, panning, a tourniquet on my right arm. Damn, that is one sexy imposter, I said. Dr. Kieran and her team were able to get that last piece of shrapnel out of Marcus, but not without the help of his mother. Thanks to me and Puka, they had the blue root to numb the pain and keep Marcus unconscious, long enough to operate. Melissa saved my life, too. Unfortunately, it may cost an arm. Blue root is a powerful narcotic and antiseptic. It's also a contact poison when mixed with water. Right now they're trying the dialysis machine on it. But I think it's too late. Harold went to have a little talk with our POWs. To be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Well, I'm turning in for the evening. 
Today turned out a little better than I could have hoped for. Maybe that's the best kind of miracle. And like this week, can't get any stranger. It's raining outside. In winter. In Michigan. <sighs> Sergeant Kaplan. You have been listening to The Fourth Tower, a cyberpunk-themed transmission from the possible future, sometime after now. If you'd like to support this podcast, please share it around wherever you do social media at. If you want to support the show, become a supporter on anchor.fm forward slash fourth tower. That's the number four, T-H-T-O-W-E-R. Or head over to the website, fourthtower.wordpress.com and hit the donate tab at the bottom of the page. Thank you.